Welcome to the Semper Reformatic Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Ephesians 1 and 22, and, and in parenthesis here the word God, and hath put all things under his, Jesus, feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Amen. The last time we had talked about how God has a plan, an overarching plan, not just for your life and for my life, but a plan that has a cosmic purpose. Paul calls it in this passage the mystery of the will of God. I suppose most people will never realize that, or they'll never even understand or try to find out what God's ultimate purpose is. But Christians should know, not because of any extra biblical revelation that they have been given, not because of some dream or some amazing vision, but because it is absolutely apparent and perfectly clear to anyone who will simply read the word of God. God's cosmic purpose is to unite all things under the headship of Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9, we read this. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good purpose, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And now at the end of this chapter, he's going to remind us that Christ is already the head of the church, which is his body. So Paul is illustrating our relationship with the risen, ascended Christ like this. Christ is the head. And the church is his body. So for just a few moments this evening, I want to explore those two important ideas. When I think of Christ as being the head of the church, give him to be the head over all things to the church. We might put it like this. He put all things in every realm in subjection under his feet, under Christ's feet, appointed him as the supreme and authoritative head over all things in the church. Now, this is a difficult verse. He hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. I think the key to understanding the verse is in the word gave which we see in verse 22. The word is the Greek word hypotasin, and it means simply to place something under. 
to bring things under the authority or the governance of someone. God has placed everything under the authority of Christ, and he will bring everything under the authority of Christ eschatologically in the future. Jesus is in charge of everything in this universe. He is governing the entire universe. He rules over galaxies and he rules over worlds and stars and kings and authorities and governments and courts and councils. And he rules over you and he rules over me. He governs everything now and forever. I wonder, would you turn with me just for a wee moment, please, to the book of Colossians. And to Colossians 1 and verse 15, where we find this wonderful poetic description of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 and verse 15, I'm just going to read a few verses to you. Talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him All things consist. Now you see this cosmic reign of Christ on a grand scale over all things in the earth, in the universe, from the beginning of time to the end of time. Everything is created by him and consists in him. And yet in verse 14, Paul narrows that down and says he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. A marvellous passage. At the centre of Christ's headship, his governing role, which the Father has placed in him, is his church. He put all things under his feet. Just like what we read in Colossians chapter 1, first part, first section of the reading. And then give him to be the head over all things to the church. So at the center of Christ's headship is the church. He is the head of the body the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Christ governs the universe in the interests of the church. Now, you may not think that from the way this world is going. On the way down to the service this evening from my daughter's house at Randallstown, I was listening to a recording in the car of the Canadian pastor who had been arrested for holding church services during the lockdown. Very, very impressive speaker indeed. 
and a very brave man who simply told the police that they were Nazis and they were acting like the Gestapo and they were to leave the building right away and he, he forced them to leave just by, by telling them to go. And thinking about that, I was thinking to myself, you know, the church in times of crisis, sometimes we wonder, where is the Lord in all of this? Sometimes we wonder, why are these things happening? Why are these things allowed to happen? And yet we have to grasp this important fact that Christ governs all things. Principalities and powers and governments and kings and rulers and the whole universe. And he does it in the interest of the church. That pastor was making the point. That maybe during the lockdown, God was bringing the church through a time of testing, a time of trial, a time of refining for what is to come. So we see in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and we can say this, that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The head of the church bestows upon it his love and his care and his benevolence and hardship will come and testing will come and difficulty will come and misery will come and sorrow and bereavement will come and death will come. But in Christ, even these things are used for our benefit. For Paul says in Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How could Paul be so confident about that? Well, it's because Jesus is in control of everything and he's governing everything for us, for his church. He hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So he's our head and we are under him as is everything else in this universe. That brings us to the second of our two descriptions here and to verse 23 where we see that the head has a body, a functioning body. Verse 23 says that the church is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Paul is using an analogy here. I had to be very careful. I had to actually look up my grammar and check that, was this an analogy or was it a metaphor? 
but I think it's an analogy. But if you're a better grammarian than me, then I'm open to correction. He's likening the church to a body. It's not a literal body, of course. Sure, it's not. Otherwise, I suppose I would be a mouth. Um, But it's a body that helps us to understand how the relationship between Christ and the church works. And Paul is the only one of the New Testament authors, the New Testament writers, who uses this analogy. Peter, John, James and all, they don't do it. And there's no Old Testament background for it either. So where does this analogy come from? Well, we do know that all of Scripture is breathed out by God. We know that it is his word. But one of the very conservative commentaries that I read on this passage included an explanation, maybe some speculation, about how may Paul have, may have discovered this literary device, this idea of an analogy of the church being the body of Christ. And the commentators speculated that perhaps it was because Paul had met Jesus on the Damascus Road. And he'd been travelling to that city to murder and to torture Christians. And along the road, he'd been thrown from his horse. He'd been blinded. He'd heard a voice. He'd heard the voice of Jesus. The incident's recorded three times in Acts. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 14, it says, When we were all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, Why persecutest thou me? Paul, or Saul as he was then known, persecuting the church. But in persecuting the church, he was persecuting Christ personally, as if the church was his body. And as the head of that body, he was feeling its pain. And the commentator muses here that perhaps later on the impression grew in Paul's mind, placed there and nurtured there by the Holy Spirit, that the church is well described as being like a body with Christ the head of the body and with various parts all doing their separate essential tasks and all with equal importance. Because we believe in the priesthood of all believers, don't we? So the church is the body of Christ, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The church is those who have been chosen by him, brought into the true church, and they're likened onto the body of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 5. If you just turn over a few pages and verse 28, you see that he uses this analogy again. Chapter 5 and verse 28, he says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Jesus loves the church just as we love our own body, just as we ought to love our wives. And the church is his fullness. 
You go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 23. It tells us here the church is his body, the fullness of him. The fullness of him. Jesus fills everything. He fills the church from beginning to end. William Hendrickson takes a similar line here to John Calvin. In saying that the church is his completeness, he comments, and I I read Hendrickson here, the church is Christ's complement, filling or completing him who fills all in all. As to his divine essence, of course, Christ is in no sense whatsoever dependent on or capable of being completed by the church. But as a bridegroom, He is incomplete without the bride. As a vine, he cannot be thought of without the branches. As a shepherd, he is not seen without his sheep. As the head, he finds his full expression in his body, the church. You can see the logic here in Paul's words. A head without a body is incomplete. Just as a bridegroom standing at the front of a church and Taking vows without a bride would be incomplete. It's not the idea that Christ is imperfect in any respect without the church. He is intrinsically perfect. And yet, Calvin, as I say, and and Hendrickson, following his line, talk about how the church is his completeness, his fullness of him. But he also completes the church. Christ fills the church. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in his church, fulfilling it, giving it its life. So the church is his body, the church is fullness, and the church is united. That passage that we read in 1 Corinthians 12 is a wonderful passage about the body of Christ. Paul makes this great list to illustrate how the parts of the body interact with one another and depend upon one another. How we need the foot and the hand and the ear and the eye. The eye and the hand and the head and the feet, the strong and the weak, the handsome and the utilitarian. Every member needs every other member. Here in Northern Ireland for quite some time now, our local assembly at Stormont, as you know, hasn't been functioning. Sure it hasn't. Not for the first time either. A few years ago, it had a three-year break from governing us. I wonder, did anybody notice the difference? Huh? I mean, the province's government carries on without the assembly. Not much interruption at all. The tax man still comes for his money. The trains still run, and mind you, here in Northern Ireland, we have probably the best trains in the British Isles. They always run in time, don't they? Not like the ones in England. The hospital trolleys are just as full as ever. Life carries on without storming, if it kept 
empty, I wouldn't worry. But what if the bin man went and strike? What would happen then? Have you seen the scenes in Paris where the refuse collectors, I don't know what the French term is, have you seen the scenes where the rubbish is piling up on the streets? They had news reports about it at the end of last week, taking you down the streets of Paris and the the rubbish in the streets standing higher in the streets than people's heads. Because the bin men have been on strike and just like so, other, so many other public service workers have done this winter. But the bin men, the pile of decaying rubbish would very quickly become a health hazard. A three-week province-wide strike by refuge collectors would paralyse this country. I'm going to ask you a question. don't expect you'll answer it. Who's more important? An MLA or a bin man? I say the bin man. And I'm only using that illustration, not by way of politics, although, as I say, I wouldn't mind if Stormont vanished. I'm only using that illustration to say that in the body of Christ, every one of us is of vital importance. Paul talks about this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about the comely parts and the uncomely parts. The parts that are utilitarian compared with the parts that are handsome and preening and standing before microphones. The body of Christ, everybody is valuable. That I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We are needed. The head and the feet illustration is striking. Jesus is in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's exalted. He's in charge of the entire universe. He's working things out. He's predestining things according to his will. His great cosmic purpose is being enacted. God's plan is not going to fail. But right here and now, we are his hands and his feet in this world. And we must work together carrying out the work for which we as individual members of his body have been fashioned. And we need each other. And we must value every one of us, every member, bonded with every other member, every member empathizing with every other. 1 Corinthians 12 and 26, Paul says, whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. We are his body. We're not just a collection of disparate lone individuals seeking our own personal blessing from God. Christ's body consists of all of those who are his people through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 17 and verse 21. Our Savior in prayer, praying to our Heavenly Father, prays for us. 
that they all may be one, as thy Father art in me, and I am thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So what have we learned? Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. That group of sinful people whom God has chosen and God has marked out as his sons to be adopted into his family. Those people for whom Christ died to forgive them for their sins. Those people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, guaranteeing new life now and in eternity. And when he brings everything in the universe under the authority of his son Jesus, it will be for his church, for his beloved, for his bride. And until then, he will keep us in his care and nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.